Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's the second time it's gone off. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. You're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captains Podcast. Oh, Matt Devitt here. Kieran Murphy. Hello, Leroy. Hi, Kieran. It's here. Ken Hi, Aaron. How you doing? How are you doing? Hello, Kieran. <laughs> and hello to you too, Ken. <laughs> We're talking Mayo Kerry today. One of those drawn matches where both teams would probably be happy enough. Kerry because of the late comeback and Mayo because they answered a lot of the questions. But it was all the same question, really, Murph, just framed differently. Do they have the heart, character, hunger, mm. stomach for the fight? Yeah, well, I mean, I think they answered all of those questions. It's true. I mean, the one question they haven't quite answered yet is when the hell are they going to win their all Ireland? That's the one big question that they haven't yet answered. But um, on this podcast on Thursday, we were asking the question, is the, you know, it's hard to see the peak of a team until that peak is behind you. And had we already seen the peak of this Mayo team? For my money, that's the best half of football they've played under James Horn. The second half was the first, the worst half they played. It could, it could have been near <laughs> enough. Um, they were absolutely terrible. But uh, the second half was uh, one of the best halves of football I've ever seen. Absolutely brilliant. And I think Mayo were as good in that 35 minutes of football as I've seen them, definitely. Shane Curran has been critical of James Horn on the show in the past. He doesn't rate him up there with McGuinness or Gavin in terms of tactical nous. The in-game management in particular seems to be an issue, but it uh, looked pretty good yesterday. Horan certainly seemed to make the right changes at the right time, although maybe there's even a bit of dispute about that. But Shane will be on today with Andrew McLaughlin, and we're also talking Serena Williams. Uh, I think maybe her breakdown during Wimbledon was one of those stories that may have passed you by if you were in full World Cup mode during June. You certainly were, Ken, and the first you saw of it was... Wimbledon when, didn't exist as far as Yeah, that. we showed you this today. I don't know how best to describe it. She uh, And the reason that they were talking about is she's in the US Open hot favourite to win it that would be her 18th career Grand Slam title and yet she doesn't seem to be a particularly popular person even in America a particularly popular sports person so that's what we're going to talk to Dave Hannigan about but it's been a pretty strange year for that being the strangest moment she's playing a doubles match with Venus Williams she just was fumbling that could barely serve could barely even throw the ball up high enough couldn't bounce the ball couldn't bounce the ball coordination said, you know, completely gone slipping off her fingers so out of sorts would be about, I think maybe the best way to describe it but the issue is that there's been no really clear explanation afterwards as to what was going on out there it was a very public uh, scene and the best that they've come up with from her camp is that she had some sort of a virus or some sort of a, some sort of viral issue there but that's about as as far yeah, as they've gone with it. I think it's, it's a strange thing, you know, and you see very different attitudes towards it in different sports, this idea that 
to tell you what's wrong, you know, to, to diagnose an injury and say, that's the problem. Say with Tiger Woods, I mean, Tiger has done this millions of times that he's uh, just just not told the truth about his injuries, you know, and that's obviously his prerogative. It's his body, after all. So um, he can tell people, you know, doctor's diagnosis uh, or, you know, uh, absolute nonsense. That's his decision. But, I mean, I, 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 for one, don't really see the point in it. You know, if you watch that and if there's an actual medical reason for why Serena Williams couldn't bounce the ball and catch it, then why wouldn't you just give that reason? Um, it's left her in a into situation. The, yeah, yeah. Into, into, the, into that gap pours, you know, all sorts of rumour. Yeah, it's also the reaction to that and the reaction to a lot of the incidents in her career. The, the, people don't seem necessary. I say people as though everybody behaves the exact same way or thinks the same way, but there certainly doesn't seem to be universal sympathy for her. I thought it was a sympathetic case that this whatever happened to her happened to her, but I don't know if it was viewed in that way. We'll talk about that with Dave Hannigan later on. We'll also chat a bit about Johnny Sexton. It looks as though he's on the way back to Leinster from next season, but this is a very special week for the Irish Times Second Captains podcast because we'll reach a milestone by broadcasting our 250th show. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about it, but no one had seen it. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Michael Parkinson at the end there. Paul Kimmage, I thought, <laughs> was probably my favourite part out of that. Just talking, look how happy I was. What the F happened? And there may have been Simon laughing in the background. Mm. And Paul saying, no, but... <laughs> that wasn't a joke. That wasn't a joke. <laughs> <laughs> laughing at the pain that I've been through in the last 25, 30 years. This week we will bring you six shows, including two Second Captains 250 specials. We'll give you news of tomorrow's guest in Second Captains Football a little later today. But right now, we just want to say a huge thank you to everybody listening today. We've had over 6 million SoundCloud plays since this time last year. So maximum love to our Irish listeners and, of course, our beloved P. Bezoers all around the world, wherever you might be. I know Murphy have a particular fondness for all of them. Mm. Uh, and uh, I love them all equally. We'll be giving away very special Second Captain survival kits, including Second Captain's robes, darts, mugs, pencils. So just the essentials for life, really. And we'll let you know how you can win those on tomorrow's show. But all this week, we'll also be looking back at some of our favourite guests and the most memorable stories that we've done. Here's one that got people talking. Reluctantly crouched at the starting line. How are you, lads? Engines pumping and thumping in time. I had a couple of experience of international tournaments. The green light flashes, the flags go up. So we were confined to a hotel with nothing to do. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They Back then, we had no mobiles. There was nothing we were watching. There was no laptops, no internet, no Facebook, Twitter, none of that back then. To ring home, you had to queue up for ages with a big water cash. But there was one afternoon, there were seven of us in a bedroom. I'm not going to name any names, right? And there was... Suggestion by someone. I don't know how to phrase this, but why don't we have a competition where how will I phrase it? Pleasure ourselves. We pleasure ourselves. We pleasure ourselves. Fella who can who can who can maybe complete the job first is the winner. We pleasure ourselves. And I swear to God, myself and another fella left. Five lads um, competed with one another. We pleasure ourselves. And there was a couple of golf putters there, so we just put a ball up and down all day long, trying to hit a Ribena ball. 
Yeah, that show in particular got a little bit weird. I mean, a golf putter? <laughs> it's just crazy stuff. <laughs> uh, two extra programs. And where did they get the category beat? I don't believe there's yeah. so much so much madness going on in that yeah. story. Two extra programs this week for you. A great one lined up tomorrow. Right now in studio, Shane Kern and Andrew McLaughlin have popped in. That's thanks for calling in. You're very welcome. As always, very welcome. Good. Oh. So, Shane, we're going to start with we're going to start right at the top here. You have been critical of James Horn in the past for his in-game management, his decision making during the game. Are you taking that back after yesterday's second? No, half? the chickens come home to roost again. Yesterday, tactically, completely got it wrong. Um, Keegan started. He hasn't played a game all year. Uh, Jason Gibbons very ineffectual throughout the whole first half. Didn't touch the ball at all. Uh, and bizarrely, uh, in the last few minutes, again, uh, when the man is out on his feet, Jerk Cafferty, who I thought had been struggling in the full-pack position for most of the game, Gini was giving him a tower time in the first half, and had Gini scored a couple of points, which he didn't end up on the scoreboard, missed an open goal, um, one would have to question how Jerk kept the whole game at full-back. And in the last time, it went, certainly when Donaghy went on, um, it was obvious from the stands that Cafferty was suffering from cramp, I don't know why Barry Morden is on the bench if he's not going to use him. And certainly uh, Donald Vaughan, uh, who has experience as a fullback and a lot taller than Jerry Cafferty, would have been able to compete um, with, um, with, with Donny when he came in. On the flip side, though, Donald Vaughan was doing a lot of damage going forward at that stage. Andy Moran had been brought on to great effect. Tom Parsons did well when he came on. Did, uh, are you giving a bit of a short straw here to Horn? No, I'm not. I, I, you know, look, I think he's done a wonderful job as a Mio manager in, in, uh, on the whole. But tactically, he just isn't up to it. And Mayo has a kill his heel over the last number of years in, in all of their big, big games. And you take Johnny Gall in the All-Ireland Final, Dublin in the final last year, Derry in the league this year with 14 men, uh, Dublin with 14 men. They've conceded goals at critical times in matches. And you've got to learn from that if you want to be a winner. And the way the game is now, Mayo had, were four points up with six minutes to go yesterday. Okay, They couldn't close it out. And... This isn't an overnight sensation. It isn't something that we're, we're levelling at him on the back of the, of the game yesterday. He's got it wrong. And um, one would have to question as well, does he actually know his players um, as well as he should know them? And, um, you know, Richie Feeney has number 18 on his back. He hasn't seen any game time at all whatsoever. Barry Morden, as I've said, hasn't seen any game time. And the players he brought in yesterday were ineffectual, apart from... Uh, a guy that we all think should be starting and that's Andy Morton and one can say okay look at he's a great guy to take off the bench but if you start a game with 13 players I think you're much better starting it with, fifth, with 14 or 15 Yeah but I mean Andy Morton's two best displays have been off the bench this year you know against Ross Common yes, you know, he, he, he achieved more in the 20 minutes that he was on the pitch I would have said against Roscommon and yesterday than he did in the quarter-final against, Go- against Cork or the quarter-final against Galway. It's a fair point, but in the absence of top-class players from the start of the game, I mean, no manager that I know would start players who are capable of starting the game and leave them on the bench. But Jim Gabbard does it all the time. But uh, no, you're tr- it's a horse of a different course, and, and we're not pairing apples with apples. But he, you does, know. That. But he does he it because... Starts, he starts the most physical players to suit certain games and bring on more skillful players with a bit of speed to throw things up. Yeah, but he has these players. I mean, he's he's paired apples with apples. Mio are not paired apples. Freeman started, he's quite a good player, and then to take him off and to bring on any more. And just, just when the game's loosened up a bit, you mean maybe... But uh, Freeman was in a fleck, factual. He hasn't kicked a ball all year. Mm-hmm. And he and you start him in all-Aaron semi-final. I, I, I just... Uh, 
personally, I don't see the, the sense in it. You I, think you Shane's know. being a little harsh here, Andrew? No, well, like, obviously he's seen a lot more than play maybe than I have. But uh, I think he's got a huge amount of that squad of players over the last couple of years. Um, and obviously he hasn't got uh, the silverware to back it up. But I think tactically... Uh, yes, they think that there was no, there was no tactics really involved in the game. Yes, they, obviously pre pre game you could say okay start certain players ahead of others, but it seems to be a common team this year. A lot of managers are starting certain fifteen players, knowing that they're going to be taking off two or three players uh, at a half time or a forty minute mark to bring on more players to do damage. You know, it's like it's like there we have certain baton rams to soften up defence or maybe get lads tired and then bring on maybe more skillful players who can finish the game off for us. Yeah. I, well, what I would say is that if you can hold anything against James Horne yesterday, it would be that Mayo really seemed to play within themselves in the first half. That you know they, that what they did in the for the first thirty five minutes up until the sending off effectively was to try and contain Kerry as opposed to go out and play like blow teams off the field like we've seen Mayo do at quarter final and semi final stages mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. Like that's what I would hold against James Horne. What I I actually would be inclined to think to agree with you, Andrew, that. You've gotten the best out of Freeman. Well, maybe not the best out of Freeman. I mean, I, I don't think he had a brilliant game yesterday, but I thought he was he did all right, and and Moran played very well when he came on. So, I I would I would hold that against Warren, but the the team, I think that's more open to debate. To be honest, you know, I, the the team that he started with and the team that he finished with, you know, I, I think he did okay yesterday in that from that point of view. You look at. I'm not. I'm not a bathroom ram or anything for him or against him. I think he has, as Andrew has said, he has done a wonderful job. And um, Andrew alluded to Jim Gavin earlier on. Jim Gavin is surrounded by really, really good people. He has a, a cohort of maybe twenty professional guys around him. James Horden has maybe two or three. Okay, there's deficiencies in that management team that are apparent, have been apparent, and are, that are showing up in big games. And why on earth he doesn't bring in somebody around him that can offer maybe different opinions, that are tactically has more knowledge, and that can actually see the, the deficiencies that they have and that are showing up and rectify them. And he's working with these players day in, day out. And I think he owes it to them. Um, you know, he, James Nallen... Um, was left off the management team or went from the management team. Now, he wasn't replaced. And, you know, what, whatever knowledge he's bringing, whatever knowledge he didn't bring, it doesn't matter. You've got to bring people in around you that can add to the knowledge culture that's there. And there's an undoubted knowledge culture in Mio with Tony Buckley and, and their, their strength and conditional coach. And yesterday we've seen the phenomenal athleticism of them. But tactically, again, I think they got it wrong. It's an interesting point, Shane, because I think it was Dennis Walsh in the Sunday Times yesterday had a piece where he outlined what he feels is one of the great strengths of James Horne's management so far, and that is that he went in and he dismissed this idea that Mayo were mentally weak. He just felt that that actually uh, their skill level wasn't as high as people in Mayo like to believe. He talked specifically in this piece, Dennis Walsh, about uh, Vaughan, said that his left foot was a bit of a problem. James Horne identified this, and within a year or two, suddenly Vaughan's kicking off both feet. So you say that he owes it to the players to be more tactically astute and maybe to beef up his backroom team, but is he not bringing enough himself in that, in that way? Has he not improved a lot of those players that we saw out there? Oh, I, I look, at undoubtedly, they're a fantastic team. You know, and the question of their, their the the cliche questioning of their bottle is is 
to me it's disgusting. I think they're they're, they're just a, a wonderful side. Uh, yesterday they showed wonderful determination, wonderful guts, um, brilliant athleticism, brilliant football, and all that. All that goes with it. When they woke up, now remember and and. Kieran did say earlier on the show carry far too much respect but Horden alluded to it in his interview afterwards he said maybe tactically we did get it wrong we did show carry far too much respect we backed we put three players on on James O'Donoghue fine that's fine and I, I don't have an issue with that but he's experienced enough now and if you draw the comparison with Jim McGuinness in 2011, where he tactically completely got it wrong against Dublin in All-Ireland semi-final, when the game was there to be won. The following year, he adopted his tactics to pick his best players in the best positions to win the All-Ireland, and that was Murphy and McFadden, instead of playing them in with raw and rolls. Mayo have not learned from Looks that. Looks like McGuinness might be going backwards, though, in, in, in that sense. Well, his, player, his players have, have, are on a long road, yeah. and his players have served him well, and he served Donegal well. Um, and until Mayo get over that crescent and win the All-Ireland, the question marks are going to be over them. And that's a pity because they are a great group of players. Andrew, did Kerry fall into some of the traps that we talk about that Mayo fell into in the first half? Fitzmaurice afterwards said that they sat back a little bit. That wasn't the intention, but when you're out there, when you suddenly find a team who are showing all the fight in the world, is is the most natural thing just to step back a bit and hold what you have? To a degree, I suppose it's kind of a human nature. Sometimes you really look at the scoreboard and you kind of see how much you're ahead and what's left to go. And sometimes that happens. But I me, mean, I just think that uh, Mayo in the first half, and this is probably the point I think tactically where they got it wrong was from the defensive point of view. We're not asking Keith Higgins to man mark. I don't know. I think that's crazy. If you, if you, I know he was on him, but um, like cornerback was my specialty and that wasn't a man marking job and any time that he actually physically was man marking him he held it up very well because both of them have got great turn of pace and got a great sidestep and it was a real battle when it was one on one but what they had more times than not was Tom Kniff on the left Higgins on the right and a, a gap in the middle but that's that's a forward's dream because all you need is a slight bit of confusion and it's it's heaven I mean any time that I was man marking a man and if I had my centre back whoever was going to be the free man coming back it was always I, he's my man unless I tell you otherwise to pick him up that's you pick him up Was it not mean? that Keith Higgins was man marking him but Kniff was there as as a sweeper outside that you feel that they actually shared him Yeah shared because if you, if you watch it, if you watch it uh, Keith Higgins was actually mar- was marking him with his space there was five sometimes there was, there was like seven or ten yards between him and James Dunhu like sitting in front of him and that's okay some cornerbacks play that but not to that space because what you have there is a confusion then to who's actually going to pick him up and there's so much space for like James Dunhu can find space in a, in a tight area and then Crow Park is in a tight area and with that with the lads leaving that much space in between them I think it's crazy like the next day the Gaelic ground is a very big pitch um, and the next day if they don't um, let Key Higgins man mark him and then Tom Kniff come back and cover the space at left or right but he's, he's Higgins responsibility I think James and will get space because no pattern in play is ever the same in two in two games Yeah and I think you'll see if Donegal come up <coughs> against if, if Donegal were to come up against James O'Donoghue now what they would do is have Carl Lacey in front of him, but have someone marking him, have the ma- one man detailed. I mean, it's, you know, it's the old American football line. If you've got two starting quarterbacks, you don't have a starting quarterback. Mm. You know, you have to have one, it's one guy's job, and you help that guy out. That's what you have to do. Shane? I think Johnny Gaud are going to be coming up against six. Uh, James Adonahue's next week. He's going to be rolling <laughs> yeah. like flies left, right, and center, um, and they're going to have their hands full with full, full of that. I, I, to be honest, I thought Higgins did a good job yesterday. 
considering he was marking one of the great talents of, of Gaelic football. He got a goal in three points. The goal came r- right at the end, high ball into the box that Dunhe catches, flips off it, uh, basketball style, and sticks it in the back of it, which is a great goal. Um, it's what he created, though, Shane, in the first half. I mean, he didn't score, but he was taking so much attention and leaving so much space because Mayo was so concerned about him. Like, Keith Higgins is a, is a, a serious cornerback. No, I agree, Andrew. You're, you're 100% right. But I actually thought Ganey was, was the big problem for Mayo yeah, in the first half yesterday. Yeah, both 10 and, yeah. and, and 14. You're dead right. Uh, ten was obviously ten was 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 in the kind of free man role. He ended up on a lot of ball, but I think a player that that hasn't got a lot of lot of lot of credit this year is Paul Gini mm-hmm. in, inside. Uh, James O'Donoghue who's kind of the fancy Dan. He's the guy that sticks the ball in the back and he puts it over the bar and un, an undoubted talent. Uh, probably a little bit more than the two trick pony that Martin you alluded to, but uh, you know, great player. But I think Gini is, is equally as good, not as good a finisher, sure, but just. Yesterday, give Cafferkey a lot of problems in the first half, and you know you keep tie one down, uh, the other comes up. Mio really in the first half they didn't come out of the, they didn't come out of the dressing rooms, and they're big players. Seamus O'Shea, Aidan O'Shea, um, Gibbons was non-effectual. Um, Vaughan to a certain extent didn't play till the second half, and I don't think Mio as a team they, would, they, they don't perform well when certainly the two O'Sheas are, and, and I think. Aidan O'Shea in the second half really stepped up to the plate, stepped up to the mantle, dominated the game and brought them back into it. Mayo have tried to get the game put back by a week and stuck back in Croke Park, but the GA have said no to that uh, unless anything changes there. Are you a little bit surprised? If you're a Mayo, would you be looking at it and thinking, well, you know, Declan O'Sullivan came on for most of the match, didn't look very fit. Brian Sheen came on, didn't necessarily look too fit and these are their key experience guys. Let's take them now while we have the chance before they get them back to fitness. Yeah, well, firstly, I think that was a mistake by Fitzmaurice to bring on Declan Sullivan so early because it was after 19 minutes he came on. He, like, I mean, he's an unbelievable player, but he hasn't got the legs. He's done so many miles now at this stage. I'd leave it to the second half to bring him on. That's the first point. It's a tricky one as a manager because they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. If, if all things been equal, I would... St- I would stick my foot down and say, look, I'm not playing. End of story. We're playing in Crow Park. It's another semi-final. It's disrespectful to bring them anywhere else. And that's it. But if a manager comes out and says that, I think at the moment uh, the momentum uh, is with Mayo because I looked into the Kerry players. I think they looked dejected after the game. I see Declan Sullivan shaking his head. I think they know that was their, their big chance lost. It's a huge advantage for them playing in Limerick. It's like us playing Roscommon in Port Leash. We play in all our underage football there and we play league games there. It's totally wrong. But if James Horan comes out and says we're not playing, all of a sudden then that gives momentum to Kerry and they know then, oh, look boys, they don't want to play as they're fierce and it changes. And as a manager, you just can't do that. He just needs his county board to be hugely strong and in a in a conversation that's not official, telling Crow Park what's what because it's an absolute disgrace to drag them lads down there. Like Limerick is a great pitch, it's not, but it's not about that. It's about they should be in Crow Park in two weeks' time and play it. And for them to come out, which is even worse, I just couldn't get over to say that just in case, I think the first line was just in case Donegal and Dublin draw, we need that venue. And if uh, Mayo uh, and Kerry draw, we'll need, we'll need the venue. Actually. I mean, they're planning uh, contingencies for something that hasn't happened when actually something now. There's no contingency for yeah, the, Here and now, there's a problem. They could fix it. Shane, you know. your thoughts on that replay? Disgraceful. I, I, you know, I, I concur exactly with what I'm GA saying. say that they've put some money into it, they've, uh, it's been redeveloped, so why not use it for an occasion? It's a reasonably big capacity. It's a kip. That's Despite it. Despite the redevelopment. Look at it. It's like a lot of the monuments around around Ireland, GA monuments, it's a dump. And bringing um, bring two teams, 30, 60 great players, 
management teams and supporters down to, to Limerick for an All-Ireland semi-final is a disgraceful, despicable act. And I can't for the life of me understand. And, and, and Andrew said, OK, James Horden will, will be handling the advantage. Why doesn't James Horden and him Fitzmaurice be man up and just say, look, this is disgraceful to our players. We're training them left, right and centre. Uh, we're bringing them all around the country year in, year out to train. And uh, they deserve the best for the best, and it should be in Crow. I'm, I'm old enough to remember the last semi-final that, that was taken out of Crow Park in 1983. It was at Cork and Dublin. And some would say maybe it would be no harm if Dublin was taken out of Crow Park, but I don't think that would ever happen Never. had the roles been bloody Never reversed. Happened. And uh, it's... It's a, it's a kind of the country culture too. The old buffon. We'll, we'll, we'll bring them down to Limerick now. So no one is going to kick up about it. If it was in Dublin, it wouldn't happen. And that's the bottom line. And it shouldn't happen either. And irrespective of the time frame uh, for, for players to recover, the players, the supporters, deserve that respect to have the game in Crow Park. It's the only uh, ground in the country that's deserving of an occasion like this. The rest of them, most of them, are kips, dumps, absolutely. And the money that's been spent on them is ridiculous. What have you got? 50,000 people in, in Limerick next week. About four or 5,000 of that undercover. If the rain compels down, what's going to happen? But is this talk of a lack of respect for the players not a little bit much, lads? It's, I mean, they're being asked to play on a different pitch, in a different venue. I, mean, I was about to say they're professionals. They're not professionals, but they, they prepare reasonably professionally and should be able to adapt. Yeah, but even on that... The GA tagline for the last couple of years is nothing beats being there. Well, there's going to be a couple of thousand people who can't be there now. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Fact because I think it's 47 is the capacity down in Limerick. Do you know what I mean? And it's you would think that the the, the rail strike yesterday meant that there were quite a few people that stayed at home yesterday yeah. that that would have gone otherwise. 52,000. I mean, and that there were question marks over Kerry's. Uh, ability at this level question marks about Mayo I mean both teams answered those questions in a lot of ways yesterday you would think that it would be a 60,000 crowd if it was played on Saturday week you know at least like I think that you know to be honest I would say fix it for Saturday week in Crow Park if Dublin Donegal is a draw then I'm sorry you're just going to have 82,000 people and the worst ticket scramble you've ever seen as it is I, I, I don't see the point in bringing it to Limerick I, I, I really don't see the point I don't I wouldn't allow it to happen I, I genuinely if I was involved in my team I just would not let that happen if you were what if you were a manager one of the in, yeah that just wouldn't let it happen what like, can you do, well, I mean what can you do if you, if you have to fulfil the fixture you have to man up yeah, like, you, can't, you can't be bullied around I mean you just can't it's allow yourself to be bullied again, around even these terms like being bullied around it's as though the GA are taking some sort of sadistic pleasure in this it's the contingency that they had the American football game is on next uh, week it's and that's what they've no done. It's, it's, it's like they're in the, no, look they're in, in a meeting and I said, look, we're in an awkward situation here now. We know we messed up. Oh, well, look, they'll play it and that's it. We'll just tell them there's no choice. Do you know what I mean? And what, what can they do? Do you know, they'll have to play it. And then they'll throw that card. Oh, sure, I'd be glad to play in, the, in my back garden if I was playing an Ireland semi-final. <laughs> Trying to like use the old parish trick and yeah, kind of make lads right. feel like mean embarrassed for, for complaining. Do you know, that, that's not the way it is. You respect so much of players and teams and fans who are paying in the gates with, and, and are pricey tickets. They expect so much and they, they're not going to get that type of treatment in Limerick. It's powerful, instead of being in Crow Park. But if Kerry are more used to playing there, it's highly unlikely they're going to kick no, up too yeah. much of a sink then, is it true? Uh, look, at the whole issue around the venue and all that is, is to my to my mind, I think it's it's an irrelevant argument about whether Kerry are more used to playing in it or not. It shouldn't be there, full stop. Mm. And that's it. And um, uh, What I would say, though, is mm. that 
you know, there's it was it's six day turnaround. If the game is going to happen in Limerick, James Warren should have put a time scale on. So if it's like midday today, or if it's you know six o'clock today, or whatever, he can't let it drag on after tonight. I would say that if you know if you're preparing for an Ireland semi final, you can't actually have this. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can't have this argument happening in the background, which, you know, is kind of, it's an emotive argument. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's it's not, um, this is something that's going to have a major material impact on how we play the game, us 30 guys, managers. Uh, it's not actually going to have a material impact. You know, what you're talking about there is, an, and I actually sympathise entirely with the, that, that emotion involved in the argument. But at some stage as a manager, you have to say, right, well, Listen, we might feel all of this, but we can't. We can't let it impact any any way past Monday at six o'clock or Monday at eight o'clock. You know, you go into training, you say, right, the game's happening in Limerick. We can't mention it again. Yeah, but to be fair, um, look at um, this. Isn't a, a management issue. This is an administration issue. Yeah, completely. Okay, yeah. so oh yeah, but I'm I'm just saying the, that maybe the, it's, for, if, it's not it's not James Horan's job to get this game to. I agree, hundred percent. It's part. not James Horan's yeah. or Emma Fitzmaurice's job. Yeah. it's an administration issue, wholly and totally. And one would have to wonder: Is Peter McKenna running the running the GEA, or is Park Duffy running the GEA? And um, the bottom line here is that, quite frankly, the Mayo County Board and the Kerry County Board shouldn't allow their players to be treated in such a haphazard way. And, and and that's I think that's Andrew's view and it's my view as well, that the players are being treated in a haphazard way. And it's 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 totally indicative of the whole GA culture. Everything goes on around, but the last people to be treated with respect are the players. And you won't hear any county board giving up about it because they're going to get their free tickets, they're going to get their wheelie bins and their, their lovely uh, drinks and their beautiful meal after. They don't really care. But the, the centre of this is the players and the management teams. And it's a total and utter administrative issue. Could you imagine uh, the NFL in America um, postponing a match or changing a match out of out of New York? Well, the, NFL, the, the NFL do play matches in London and that discommodes local fans there. It's probably supporters, really, that I would have thought are, are the bigger issue than players. But you guys, obviously, um, well, I think you think maybe the supporters yeah. and the players. But what's worse is, all, like, we spent, what, maybe 15, 20 minutes talking about this now, Sunday game, the night they, they spoke about it, mm. and we haven't mentioned what a spectacle of a game it was. Like, it was an unbelievable game. Like, it takes away like from, from what happened yesterday and what the players put on, like a, a second-hand performance there, like a 14-man Mayo. Uh, like, that's taken away from how good a game it was. Yeah, well, let's get back to that then, Andrew. Who, on the field, who's going to win the replay? I think Mayo, you know, and I feel, I feel that they, like, they put in such a performance of 14 men to have that whole kind of siege mentality now. That, like, I, I think that shouldn't have been a sending off. I mean, Technically, David Kolchak was correct. I think he's a good referee, but uh, I mean, I think he knew himself sending that man off. Like that, he look. I'm, I'm sorry, I kind of have to do it. Like it wasn't sending off. There was no bad blood in that game yesterday. Like when you see hurling and someone getting a belt and the referee says, "Look, it's an Ireland semi-final, lads. The bloods are up, and it's understandable. The yellow comes out." I mean, and common sense should have prevailed yesterday, and I think they'll have that in the back of their mind as well. And I just think Mayo or Kerry yesterday looked a little bit more dejected coming off the field. I just thought their heads were down. A couple of lads were shaking their heads. Were, were Mayo were more positive? Do you know, Shane? Yeah, yeah, he's Andrew's hundred percent right. Um, it was a fantastic game of football, and we, the game doesn't get enough credit. Um, our, our hurling brethren are full time on the on the television and radio is telling us how it's wonderful. The greatest game in the world. Oh, the greatest game in the world. And look, it's a good game. Yeah. It, to me, it's not the greatest game in the world, but it's a good game football to me is up there with it yesterday we've seen an example of it there's been numerous examples over the summer as well but we're, we're full time badger baiting it um, 
on the subject of of the refereeing and the whole issue of the incompetencies of officialdom, we seen it again yesterday uh, with Hawkeye. A point that dissected it actually dissected the uprights about four metres above the crossbar they couldn't get it right and we will be here sitting today talking about possibly Mio choking at all and saying Mio not being good enough Mio not being this Mio not being that because a guy is standing at an upright and he can't bloody see the ball going over the bar three yards away from him and I'm, I've stood at goalposts for the last 25 years and this unbelievable uh, attitude um, to players to the decision-making process and how these things can affect nearly a whole lifetime, a career, by not getting it right. And these things are happening every single game. You will see an umpire looking at an umpire, looking back. One of them doesn't know what the other is doing. <laughs> They're stone blind in most cases. A lot of them, you watch them wear glasses. If it's raining, they can't, they can't take, the, take the water off, their, off their, from their eyes. The, the, the decision-making is just not Good enough. Dave McGoldrick yesterday sent a guy. Two weeks ago, there was a hurling match where a player was through in the last couple of minutes. We leave them nameless, all right? We don't need to say it on radio. Took the ankles off him with a hurdle. Never as much as got a yellow card. I get on with it. We, you know, it's a game of hurling, it's a man's game. Yesterday, that was wrong too, though. You know no, 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 but no, hold on. Look at Lee Keegan. Got a little reprieve yesterday in that there was a draw. Yeah. Okay. He would miss an All Ireland final because of. A refereeing decision that was technically marginally half correct. But in the spirit of the game, and I think this is what we have to get right, the spirit of the game is that he didn't kick the bloody head off him. right? He just threw a little foot out, didn't even make contact. And he comes over with a red card and ruins, like, could, could ruin a guy's career. So-called amateur game and a guy that really is, is a leader for Mio. Now, he's lucky. He's not going to get, um, he's not going to... Uh, be able to play next week um, and he's not going to be like Luis Suarez and go to the court of arbitration or anything like that because it just doesn't happen in the day we'll take it of course lying down again that's the way it is you can't go in and get justice in there for these guys because they don't care but that guy's career could be ruined and missing all Ireland final he got away it's a draw okay uh, Richie Feeney will probably come in next week and if Mio win Lee Keegan comes back for the All-Ireland final but a decision like that can have huge implications for, for players and management teams as the umpires as well missed a stonewall point We'll leave it at that but you're going for Mayo to win the replay or not Yeah I think Dempitus is with them uh, and with Andrew I think Dempitus is with them and I think Limerick <laughs> funnily enough might suit them actually <laughs> <laughs> Alright that's brilliant chat Shaker and Andrew McLaughlin lovely thank you Thanks lads Andrew, that's the question. That's going to be answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight. Tonight. Into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight. Their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just. The bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight. No, I think Hawk have made a massive boo boo with our matchups. Massive boo boo. Tonight. 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 Shanker, not a massive fan of the Gaelic grounds in Limerick there, Kieran. No. Can you um, put that in a bit of context for us? Because I'm sure Limerick listeners, I don't know, here, Gaelic grounds lovers, uh, the Gaelic grounds lovers out there will be yeah, well, I mean, disputing the fact that it's, or the opinion that it's skipped. Yeah, well, you you got to look at it, as you say, try and put it into a bit of context, right? So, it's a 49th, it holds 49,500 people. 
uh, as far as I can tell. Uh, now, I don't know how many tickets are actually going to be on sale for uh, the game on Saturday, but that's that's what we're told it can hold. 24,000 of those are seated. Twenty, So over half of the crowd that's going to get into this game will be on a terrace. There's a reason why the hill is empty for all games except Dublin games. It's because people don't like standing on a terrace for a game of this magnitude. The 24,000 seats that are uh, that are there, only 9,500 of them are covered. And it's in a stand that has four big poles uh, supporting the supporting the roof. So there's four poles, basically, which you have to try and look around. It's, you know, he's... He, okay, so Shane calls it a kip, right? I don't think it's... A, I don't think it's a kip, right? But it's an All-Ireland semi-final. This is supposed to be the thing that we're selling to... You know, th- these are the showpiece events. This is this this is the sort of event. I mean, you're talking about, say, food. You know, uh, you know what kind of uh, catering will be there. You're uh, used to a certain standard in Crow Park. That's the standard that you're that you're supposed to meet for an All-Ireland semi-final. Yeah, it is just one game, though. Yeah, you know, it's to, to, it, they've had their first semi-final. There doesn't matter if some people get to don't like the food as much in the second semi-final. over half of them are standing up for the, the second for the second most important game they're going to play all year so what well the terrace is, is an issue when it comes to people with what if it rains no but when it comes to people with families bring a poncho or whatever it's a football match no I, I do think the issue of, of already there's going to be a problem with tickets there probably won't be enough tickets to go around right and even with that if you're a family if, if you've reduced mobility anything like that that's where the terraces really do become an issue a genuine practical issue so the, the the lack of the relative lack of seats is the main problem there. I the the issue about the players and them being disrespected. I we've been through it probably with the lads enough there. I'm not necessarily sure about that one. I, I think I go with your idea, Murph, that the management and the players have to at some point just say, listen, this is where it is. That point is approaching very soon now. Yeah. I mean, I would say this evening. All right, some non-GA news making an impact today. Johnny Sexton looks like he's on the way back to Leinster. The Irish Independent reported this morning that he's reached an agreement with the IRFU four-year contract from the start of the 2015-2016 campaign. So from the start of next season, there was already, uh, or the start of that season, it was already known that um, Racing Metro wanted to keep him. The Indo also says Toulon were going to pay up to €900,000 a year. Uh, to sign him up to replace Johnny Wilkinson. He himself had said recently that he hoped his future would be sorted out soon and that everyone knew where he stood after the interviews he gave when he left Leinster. I always took that to mean that he wanted to come home. It was always quite clear that he only left because he didn't feel the offer was right in the first place. Anyway, we spoke to him back in May. It was clear then that he was missing Dublin and had a, had a, would have had quite a bit of thinking to do over the summer. But there were still massive things I missed from home. Um, you know, I was home last week, got a week off and... Uh, you know, you you quickly get back into that routine of uh, <laughs> meeting up with the lads and you know going for lunch and you, you remember the good old days. But um, you know, um, you know, as wait till everything settles down in the summer and then I start to think about it. It's tough not to think about it though. It's uh, it does occupy a lot of your time thinking about whether you you'll go home or whether you'll stay. Or you know what I mean. But you have to wait to see what the options are. So there were heavy hints to the IRFU even back then that he wanted to be back in Ireland. They had to make it happen. I'd be reasonably confident they haven't found a way to match the reported Toulon offer of €900,000, but they would have had to put something attractive together financially. And I'd imagine the four-year contract, I know he's in the prime of his career, but when you're 29 years of age and you're thinking about the next few years and you you can get a four-year contract at the Racing Metro, for that to be matched in terms of length, whatever about the the finance and the security that gives you going into your 30s and up to the age of 33, I'd imagine that'd be a pretty big part of the thinking. Yeah, I think uh, the length of the contract... I mean, I think we're all going to try and do that sort of mental arithmetic. What does, 
what would what would the RFU in Leinster have to pay? How close to nine hundred grand a year would they have to get uh, to get him back? I mean, it, the interesting thing about that interview that we did in May was uh, that he did seem to miss family and he did seem to really. Um, well, babysitting basically was the big issue that I could hear from that entire interview. Yeah, his wife Laura had a baby boy over the summer. Yeah, and you know, over here by ourselves, by ourselves. So I mean, if I'm Mister and Mrs Sexton, Johnny's parents, I can probably expect the doorbell to be ringing quite a bit next year. <laughs> We've been in contact with both the IRFU and Lancer today, so neither of them are confirming the story, but it certainly does look like a done deal at this stage. Serena Williams is a big favourite to win the US Open. It starts today after what's been a horrible year so far. We talked a bit about the strange episode in the doubles at Wimbledon. She's had an underperformance really in all the majors, but she is going for 18th Grand Slam title. And Dave Hannigan joins us from New York. Dave, it's good to talk to you. If she did manage to win this title, she'd pull level with Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova on 18 Grand Slams and just a few behind Steffi Graf, which is incredible in terms of achievement, but how is she thought of um, within US sport? Well, I think I think Navratilova and Everett actually help us understand where Serena stands um, today. She's more like Navratilova than Everett in the public imagination. Everett, to this day, Chris Everett is, is one of the most popular female athletes in America when they have these polls and, and stuff about who, you know, who people love and who people remember, whereas Navratilova never features in that. Now, Navratilova was a far superior tennis player than Chris Everett, and it's the same with Serena. She is respected. People acknowledge her greatness, but for some reason it may be racial. Uh, it may be a number of factors. She is not as adored and not as revered as as she should be because of her greatness. Would you say it may, uh, there may be a racial element to it there? I mean, on the face of it, her story and that of Venus, but particularly now with the, the, the way Serena's career has gone over the years, I mean, it's as impressive, I would have thought, as Tigers in terms of breaking down barriers. A, a, a black athlete growing up in a very uh, poor area of America, dominating tournaments as far away as Wimbledon. It, w- it would seem to be just a really good sort of um, story of class and race barriers being broken down, but it, it, the way you describe it there, it doesn't necessarily get accepted as such, or it isn't seen just in those terms. Well, I think you're exactly right. It is possibly the greatest American sports story ever told because of the circumstances that they came out of, the hype that accompanied them from the time they were 14 years, 14 years old, and yet they lived up to the hype, and in Serena's case, has actually surpassed the hype. Now, she's going to the U.S. Open uh, tomorrow. I think she, makes, she starts tomorrow playing against Taylor Townsend. If she, you know, she's looking for her sixth U.S. Open. Her and Venus are the only American athletes that I can ever remember who have had to talk at press conferences at a U.S. Open about the need for the fans to support them and for the fans to get on their side. Now, we know the American sports fan is a fairly jingoistic character at the best of times, but here we have two of the greatest athletes America has ever produced, and they have had to talk at press conferences about the need for the fans to get on their side tomorrow or whenever they were playing the next game, which is extraordinary and which I think says an awful lot. She, uh, Serena had... Well, what was termed a breakdown at Wimbledon in a doubles match with, along with her sister Venus. She had trouble bouncing and catching the ball. It was, it's been said that maybe she shouldn't have gone out there. She wasn't in a state to play a match. And even the reaction to that might give us a, an insight into 
how she's viewed because it's been put down as a virus, but there's been no real explanation given. And I, I get the sense that there hasn't been a huge amount of sympathy for Verena, for Serena, similar to uh, she had blood clots a few years back, in part related to an incident when she cut her glass, uh, cut her foot on glass in a restaurant in Munich back in 2010. And again, I don't, I don't know if that explanation was even um, received too positively by the public. Well, the, the problem here is that the Williams camp, you know, Richard, the father, who obviously is a controversial character, but who has presided over this incredible story and, and should get a lot of credit for that. They have always kind of, uh, you know, been mysterious in how they handled injuries and how they explained physical problems. They've never been upfront about that. And that then leads to more speculation. Now, the breakdown at Wimbledon was incredible. As anybody who's seen the footage, and if you haven't go to YouTube, you will never see anything quite like this. I don't think uh, in the middle of a sporting event ever has been explained away as a viral illness, as you say. But of course, the tennis tour is a bitchy place. We also heard that she's pregnant. We also heard, or was pregnant at the time. She was drunk. Uh, she had a prescription drug problem. I mean, there are no shortage of conspiracy theories. And again, that explains a hell of a lot about it. But there's something else to, you know, to, to consider. This woman has been on the, on the tour. I think she made her professional debut in 1995. That's 19 years ago. She won her first U.S. Open 15 years ago. To be at the top for that long, and she's walked away a couple of times. You know, she hasn't retired, but she's got distracted. She's done acting. You know, she does fashion design. She's done a lot of different stuff along the way, yet still motored to 17 Grand Slam titles. And I think her prize money is twice what Maria Sharapova has ever won on the court. Yeah, and that's, despite what you say, that was termed a loss of focus in years gone by. Maybe the way we're talking about it now, maybe actually stepping away and having those other interests has added to her longevity because she's had a situation, she's had a bad year, but she's going into this tournament expected to win, as we said, her 18th Grand Slam. Maybe other tennis players could look at that. It might be a good idea to step away and have other interests. Well, I mean, she's very much like, you mentioned Tiger earlier, herself and her sister grew up in that kind of model of, of the driven father who was kind of, you know, making sure that they only had the sport in their lives, this narrow focus, which, which obviously contributed to their rise and to their greatness. But in Serena's case, she's always had a much more rounded view of life. I mean, going off acting on TV shows and, you know, try, or trying to write, she's writing scripts for TV shows or trying to write them, doing the fashion design, absolutely, I think, has contributed to her longevity because you can't, you know, you can't stay on the tour 19 years since her professional debut and to be still, I think she's the oldest world number one ever. She turns 33 next month, which is just incredible when you think about it. She's hot favorite going into this tournament today. And today, or tomorrow, she faces Taylor Townsend, who's an 18-year-old African-American girl who is one of, say, half a dozen African-American teenage girls who are coming through now in America who may or may not live up to their billing, but all of whom are here because they grew up watching Serena and Venus Williams and watching them change the face of world tennis, not just American tennis. Is there enough coming up, do you think? Because this is another uh, thing that surprised me somewhat about how Serena is viewed. I would have thought that be, she's there, there might be a worry about what comes after her uh, and therefore you would think that maybe people will be a bit more amenable towards enjoying her success. But are there enough of those players likely to actually take over her mantle? Because obviously in men's tennis, it's a bit of a disaster at the moment in the US. It's very hard to see anybody ever... You know, this, this will look, be looked back upon as the greatest era for American women's tennis, the Venus and Serena era, I think. 
but it's going to take history. You know, it's going to take take uh, you know a few years down the road before people appreciate that. No matter how good Taylor Townsend and Sloane Stevens and these girls are when they break through, uh, finally break through at a major, I don't see any of them emulating this. Uh, it's not quite as depressing a vista as on the men's side of American tennis, but I think American female tennis could really struggle once these sisters kind of finally shuffle off the stage. And the one thing is, I don't think Serena. I, I don't think she's ready to go. I think she will keep going. You know, she'll be more or less dragged off the court because she doesn't commit fully 24-7-365. She's able to go at it in fits and spurts, and hopefully she can do that for another couple of years. Dave Hannigan, great stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. Do make sure to check out Dave's America at Large column in the Irish Times. We should also mention that Serena hasn't exactly helped her own cause at times in terms of public opinion. Most notably, an interview she gave to Rolling Stone last year, she made comments... I don't know if you remember this one about a teenage rape victim in Ohio. Serena said that the girl shouldn't have put herself in that position. Now, she subsequently apologised, but, um, you know, that, that that clearly wasn't a good scene at all. And this view of Serena as an unpopular figure, though, was around long before that incident, which was around last year. There is also Irish interest, we should say, in the US Open this year. James McGee, our number, one's player, number one player, I should say, plays... A Kazakhstan opponent in the first round tonight. He had a dramatic final qualifying round victory against Zhe Zhang from China. Lost the first set six love in that one before coming back to qualify, so fair play. And good yeah, there's, uh, there's some footage that I saw on social media over the weekend uh, of his reaction after he won that game and it was, it's actually brilliant to watch if you if you happen to see a link, follow through to it because, um, yeah, first he, he celebrates for about half a second and then he just kind of dissolves into like total exhaustion elation, relief, the whole lot. And you, it's shot by a maid of his in the in the crowd. Uh, it, it seems quite obvious. And um, yeah, McGee's, yeah, it's just brilliant. Well, he's absolutely 27 brilliant. years of age, ranked just inside the top 200 in the world. So it's a classic case of a talented sportsman operating just below the top level of his or her, his or her sport and therefore having to do a lot of travelling, a lot of work, a lot of grind around the world without a huge amount of reward necessarily. So it's good to get this bit of profile and uh, hopefully you can do the business or put up a decent show anyway coming up in the Irish Times second captain's football podcast today again that's yeah they have asked for that really well you can laugh I'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that I want to be like me but yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. did you want? I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. What you're doing down here, you show me, man. So, I guess the Crisis Club, on after a couple of games of the season, is probably Crystal Palace. And Manchester United. Club. Manchester United have got a point after the weekend. It's under it. The question, I suppose, that they now have is whether Louis van Gaal is trying to do something which English football is always going to reject. Three at the back, we just don't go that way. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about, a bit about that, but also uh, what Palace are going to do, given their whole their uh, plan for succeeding. Tony Pulis went down in absolute flames last week, and uh, and they really don't have a lot of time to put together an alternative plan. And we'll have more Second Captain's 250 celebrations. We reached 250 episodes this week, including details on tomorrow's special show. That's a show we're going to put out on Tuesday. Thanks again for listening today and for all the support, I've got to say again, since we started up this programme last year. In the meantime, if you want the chance to win a Samsung Galaxy Tab 3, 
then please go to irishtimes.com forward slash podcast survey just answer a few simple questions there that's irishtimes.com forward slash podcast survey we'll chat to you a little bit later on thanks Kieran. thank you Owen thank you Ken thanks thank Ken. you Kieran. thank you Owen talk to you then That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.